Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra. I come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the United States of America. Today is the 20th of September, and the year, of course, is 2020. So I want to get started um, forthwith so that we can get through this discussion of the T cells um, and their association with aging. Before I do that, I'd like to give you sort of a prolegomena for you to be considering after we finish this entire cycle, which is an event of lectures to describe aging. I want you to consider that paradox is a thing in itself, and it is distinct from what I want to call a nominalistic consideration of things that are paradoxical. Okay. By that, I mean one can predicate a statement by calling it paradoxical, but in and of itself, it cannot be a paradox since that would invoke a real universal. And I do not accept that universals are real except within the context of the synthetic a priori, or SA. So the SA, synthetic a priori knowledge, requires the schematization of categories of thinking to experiences which are endowed by the imagination. And they're real only within the confines of what I call phenomena. So in synopsis, which of course means one together sight, I've made the point many times that Immanuel Kant opens up the door to Plato's cave, not only to the sunlight bathed real, however remaining phenomenological world, but more to all that could be experienced or reasoned that is unequivocally our world, a world we essentially manufacture under the confines of the concepts we use as laws. And the problem of never being able to really have any knowledge of any or all things in themselves, that being the noumena. Now, since science is only a method for uncovering our world, it's confined to phenomena, which are presentations to the senses. So it's therefore shut out from the most intriguing thing in itself, which is in capital T form, truth. Ultimately, then, we are left with the mere justification of beliefs. And that ultimately, really, is where science has its foundation. We believe what we profess as scientists, and that's what we present to lay people and to students. So in a way, that whole conversation I just described to you is the mother of all paradoxes. So let's get on with the rest of the lecture.
So we were talking about two different lineages of T lymphocytes, the CD4 positive and the CD8 positive T cells. And we told you that if an antigen presenting cell, when it's displaying its peptide MHC class two molecule, will interact with the T cell receptor and the CD4 co-receptor on naive CD4 positive T cells. When it does that, in the presence of interleukin-12, which is a cytokine, canonically, it'll generate a Th1 cell lineage. And that cell is known to secrete and utilize interferon gamma, and it utilizes intracellularly to express that cytokine and a host of other cytokines, the gene products of STAT4 and TBET, TBET being a very important transcription factor, which we've talked about already. Now, Th1 type cells, which are of the CD4 positive lineage, Again, after interacting with an MHC class two antigen expressed on the surface of an antigen presenting cell like a dendritic cell from innate immunity through the TCR receptor and the CD4 along with other co-adaptive molecules. That Th1 cell lineage is gonna be involved in inflammation and in something called delayed hypersensitivity, which we'll talk about subsequently. That same naive CD4 positive T cell in the presence of interleukin-4 will generate a Th2 cell lineage, and it's going to have expressed in its genome and therefore protein synthesized and making more interleukin-4. And it's going to work through the STAT6 pathway, and it's going to use GATA3 as a transcription factor. Th2 cell lineages are going to be involved in cell activation and ultimately in inducing antibody formation once these cells interact with B cells. The naive CD4 positive T cell can also, in the presence of TGF beta, make a T reg cell, T regulatory cell, which we've talked about at great length. T regulatory cells are going to make more TGF beta. And it's going to use this transcription factor, FOXP3. What T regulatory cells do is they immunoregulate. And they also are involved when they are working overtime to suppress Th1, Th2s. They can allow for tumor proliferation. The last cell lineage I mentioned from the CD4 positive naive lineage uh, uh, cells is going to be in the presence of TGF beta interleukin-6, interleukin-1, and interleukin-23 in various stoichiometric ratios. That's going to make the Th17 cell. It's going to synthesize and secrete interleukin-17, and it's going to use the STAT3 pathway, and its transcription factor is going to be the ROR gamma T. Remember, that's the retinoic acid orphan receptor gamma T system. Th17 cells are going to be involved in inflammation, and it's going to be um, mostly localized to mucosal sites. 
Now, at the same time, all that CD4 positive T cell lineage is functioning, you're going to get a CD8 positive T cell population. And it's similarly comp comprised of subpopulations once it is induced by interacting with a peptide MHC class 1 molecule on the surface of a professional antigen-presenting cell, such as a dendritic cell. And so you're going to have the TCR receptor and the CD3 as well as the CD8 interacting here. That's this naive CD8 positive T cell. The subpopulations it will generate will be TC1 and TC2 subsets. TC1 cells are active in the destruction of virally infected or indeed malignant cells, because these are cytotoxic T lymphocytes. And during their ontogeny in the thymus and their subsequent differentiation in secondary lymphoid tissues, CD4 positive T cells and CD8 positive T cells will undergo that sequence of complex, mechanistically distinct processes that result in the acquisition of helper or regulatory repertoire, as well as I just mentioned to you, the cytotoxic activity. And that's it, respectively, CD4 versus CD8. Now, if you think about the adaptive immune response, CD8 positive T cells are going to be generating interferon gamma and TNF beta, and they're going to be directly cytotoxic. That's the TC1 lineage. TC2 lineage, which is CD8 cells, are going to make interleukin 4 and interleukin 10. And they're going to be coming from this TC CD8 positive lineage, which is the which is the progenitor. And in the presence of interleukin 12, we're going to make the TC1. In the presence of interleukin 4, we're going to make TC2. And this is all induced by the endogenous pathway interacting with an MHC class 1 held antigen, right? The exogenous pathway is going to also involve a professional antigen-presenting cell, and that's going to then be working through the MHC class 2 antigen presentation. That's going to turn on the Th0 cell or the naive Th cell, the CD4 positive lineage, and as I just said, that will introduce via um, further stimulation of various cytokines. For example, interferon gamma interleukin-12 will make Th1s. Interleukin-1, interleukin-6, and TGF-beta will make THC-17s. And in the presence of TGF-beta, interleukin-2 will generate um, the, the further series. There's a Th3 series. There's a Treg series, and then there's the TRIs. And that's going to all generate, uh, the FOXP3 lineage, for example, will be involved in inactivation. But all of those are going to be associated with regulatory cytokines, some pro-inflammatory, the Treg's case, anti-inflammatory. The Th2 lineage, in the which is going to be coming from naive CD4-positive T cells, in the presence of interleukin-4, is going to make, the Th2 is going to make all these other so-called helper cytokines. Those include interleukin 4, 5, 6, 10, and 13, which are then are all going to be issued from the Th2 lineage and going to allow for B cell activation, which itself is going to conjugate with the TCR, it's the T cell receptor on the naive T cell CD4 positive lineage. 
and ultimately with the B cell receptor binding to antigen. So the B cell is binding to the naive CD4 positive T cell to its um, TCR with the help of the CD4. The BC cell is then in the presence of those three cytokines I just told you coming from the Th2 lineage, which have already been uh, synthesized or developed or differentiated. The presence of interleukin 13, 4, and 5, that B cell then, because it's exposed via its B cell receptor to antigen, ultimately will make a plasma cell. So you see, you need the activity of interacting cell to cell with the naive CD4 positives, as well as with the antigen, as well as with the cytokines producing Th2. You're going to then make a plasma cell. And the plasma cell is going to be the ultimate. Uh, immunoglobulin producing cell. It's going to have IgM on its surface. It's going to secrete IgG, IgA, and IgE via recombination. So T cell differentiation, you've got the Th and Th and Tc populations and all the subsets I've just been mentioning. Following uptake and processing of an antigen by a professional APC, antigen presenting cell, like a dendritic cell, and that's usually a peptide that's presented either to the CD8 population in the context of MHC1 or, again, as I said, the CD4 subpopulation in the context of MHC2, following which there's going to be a cascading set of cellular lymphoproliferative and differentiating events, which are going to all be initiated under an inductive influence of those cytokines I've just mentioned to you that will ultimately determine all of the effector functions that we get from the T cell lineages. Okay. So this is how I want you to understand where we're leading to. Now, take a look at the paper published in the uh, BMC Cancer, Volume 20, Article Number 882. So this is free online, right? And this is article number 882, published just this year in 2020. What does this paper tell us? It tells us that germ cell testicular cancer mainly affects, of course, young males between the ages of 15 and 35. So just at puberty up until 35 years old, which is uh, not near even to middle age. This is, again, the germ cell testicular cancer. It's estimated that there are about 71,000 new cases with up to 9,500 deaths worldwide that occurred in one year. And that year that this paper is discussing was in 2018. Now, TC, testicular cancer of this form, is the most curable solid neoplasm. And even if it presents in advanced stages, it can be cured often with just current chemotherapy. About 90% of the patients with good risk disease will be cured. And the intermediate risk group has about a five-year survival rate, and that's approximately 80%. And the patients with poor risk disease have only, unfortunately, a five-year survival rate, and that's nearly 50%. DCS patients, of course, have to, have to be confronted with long-term toxicity of any kind of treatment that's being offered. Usually this is some kind of pharmaco-oncologic treatment. Side effects include, in this young male population, increased incidence of secondary malignancies, hypogonadism, pulmonary toxicity, nephrotoxicity, neurotoxicity, 
and an augmented mortality from circulatory diseases. There's also an increased risk of infections and TCS have a higher risk of dying from non-cancerous causes because of this. These infections or digestive diseases or respiratory or circulatory diseases, all of which are going to be elevated in this treated population as compared to the general population. Now, the clinical manifestations associated with immunosenescence, this is where I'm coming back to, that's why I'm telling you about this paper, in the elderly, right, include, of course, a decreased ability to control infection, a poor response to vaccination, I just covered that last lecture, and an increment in the risk of developing cancer. Several immunological alterations have also been described with aging, those include, recall, changes in the T and B lymphocyte subpopulations and in, of course, in that T cell subpopulation-associated natural killer cells or NK cells. Now, the B lymphocyte compartment also shows a decrease in naive B cells with a reciprocal increase, here we go again, in memory B cells. Aging is also characterized by a decrease in circulating antibody levels. And at a functional level, natural killer cells exhibit decreased cytotoxicity in the aged. And natural killer T cells are, have reduced migratory capability as well. Now, there's a protein called P16INK4A. Now, that protein is a cell cycle regulator, and it's an inhibitor of the cyclin-dependent kinases 4 and 6. It plays a very important role in cellular aging and in this premature immunosenescence that I just mentioned to you that's the result of pharmacotherapy for young men that have germ cell testicular cancer. Okay. So this protein shows up in those patients as well. And it's basically recognized as an aging biomarker. How interesting, right? So P16 INC4A expression in peripheral blood T lymphocytes has been described as sharply increased with chronological age. And indeed, it contributes to an age-induced functional decline in many self-renewing compartments, okay? So where is this gonna be leading to? Well, what I wanna ultimately explain to you is that overall scrotal cancer is often associated as an occupational cancer, okay? So where am I leading here now? I'm going way back to a paper published in Cancer Genetics and Cytogenetics in 1999, published in March of that year. The volume was 109. The pages were 108 to 113. So scrotal cancer, as it was described way back 21 years ago, 1999 publication, was actually the... the probably one of the first described occupational cancer. The frequency of occupation-related scrotal cancer is rare because better hygiene and protective clothing can obviate. Human papillomaviruses, and there are a couple, the oncogenic type 16 and 18, 
were reported to be potential causative agents in the pathogenesis of scrotal cancer. The scrotal cancer's E5, E6, and E7 proteins are expressed by human papillomavirus 16, and they affect, indeed, the cell cycle at the G1 checkpoint. That means they involve TP53 and, wait for it, the P16 Inc 4A protein and the P15 Inc 4B protein. They're reported all to be transcription factors that, of course, regulate cell cycle, basically on the same canonical pathway. Now, in the paper reported here, a mutational pattern for TP53, P16 Inc 4A and P15 Inc 4B, and the either homo or hemizygous deletion patterns of those genes were, were shown to be presented in four scrotal carcinoma cases. The results were correlated with the findings of an oncogenic human papillo, papillo, papillomavirus, and I just told you those were type 16, 18. In two of the four cases, human papillomavirus 16 was observed. Homozygous deletion of that P16 Inc 4A, P15 Inc 4B transcription factor genes and a codon T59 misis mutation going from GAC to TAC, which is going to result in an aspartate to tyrosine mutation. And that's in the TP53 gene were observed in one of the human papillomavirus positive scrotal carcinoma cases. That homozygous deletion of P16 Inc 4A and P15 Inc 4B were observed in another human papilloma positive scrotal carcinoma case. So the accumulation of TP53 mutations and those two transcription vectors C uh, P, excuse me, 16 Inc 4A and P15 Inc 4B, homozygous deletions in human papillomavirus type 16 positive scrotal carcinoma cases overall indicate that alterations of TP53 and P16 Inc and P15 Inc genes must play a decisive role in the progression, progression of those scrotal cancers, as well as potentially other factors, protein factors, or lipid factors. Now, the survival rate for two human papillomavirus type 16 positive patients who had those TP53 mutation or the P16 Inc 4A 4B homozygous deletions or both was lower than that for a human papillomavirus type 16 negative case who had none of those mutations. So the molecular alteration of P53, P16 Inc, P15 Inc may be useful according to this early paper, the 1999 paper's prognostic markers in scrotal cancer. Now see how we're going to link those two things together and we're going to go to one more paper. Now you see where I'm leading you here. We, talk, we were talking about aging. Then I told you that, it, that early aging was associated with chemotherapeutic treatment of certain types of testicular cancer 
in young men. Now I'm giving you the background in scrotal cancer relative to viral load, right? And we're looking at the same genes that were involved in that very recent 2020 paper. Now I'm going to take you to a paper in Nature Medicine 2017, published that year in June. That's volume 23, page 775 to 781. This paper tells me this. Senescent cells accumulate in a lot of different vertebrate tissues with age. And we've talked about these many times. Of course, they contribute to age-related pathologies, presumably through the secretion of factors contributing to the senescence-associated secretory phenotype. Don't worry, I'll mention what that is in a moment. I've already told you that. Now, removal of CNCs delays several pathologies and increases healthy lifespan. Aging and trauma are risk factors, of course, for the development of osteoarthritis, which is, of course, an autoimmune disease. That's a chronic disease characterized by degeneration of the articular cartilage leading to pain and physical disability. Senescent chondrocytes are found in that cartilage tissue and isolate from patients undergoing joint replacement surgery. What their role is in the disease pathology is not very well described. So this paper wanted to test the idea that these senescent cells could play a causative role in osteoarthritis. So they use a specific transgenic mouse, which you don't need to know the details of, but it harbors a P16 Inc. 4A, which is also known as CDKN2A promoter, which drives the expression of a fusion protein containing a synthetic luciferase and a monomeric red fluorescent protein domain, as well as a truncated form of the herpes simplex virus thiamine kinase gene. That's, that's going to be used as a negative selectable marker. The mouse strain that they're using here allowed them then to selectively follow and then remove because of negative selection you, using the herpes simplex virus thiamine kinase gene, which upon expression would then incorporate an, a guanine analog and thus killing the cells. That's how you remove the SNCs after interior cruciate ligament transection. That's called ACLT after that surgical procedure. Now, what this paper found is that these SNCs accumulated at the articular cartilage and synovium after that surgery, after ACLT. And a selective elimination of those cells using the herpes simplex virus negative selectable marker attenuated the development of post-traumatic osteoarthritis, reduced pain, and increased cartilage development. Huh. So intra-articular injection of a senolytic molecule that selectively killed these senescent cells validated the results in transgenic and non-transgenic and in aged mice. So selective removal of senescent cells from in vitro cultures of chondrocytes 
isolated from patients with osteoarthritis, undergoing total knee replacement, decreased the expression of senescent and inflammatory markers, while also increasing expression of the cartilage tissue, extracellular matrix proteins. So what they were doing was testing whether these senescent cells basically contributed to the osteoarthritis, okay? And I just gave you now basically the results that were conferred in that study. So we're going to continue on an explanation of how the senescent secretory phenotype plays into our understanding of T lymphocytes as controlled by those two transcription okay? And I'm going to link that then to this cancer and then indeed to the chemotherapy of that cancer relative to our discussion of T lymphocytes. So I'm going to stop there and we'll get back to this discussion. This is Dr. Dan Guerra saying bye for now.